Hello, welcome to another episode of Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm your host, Cody Schweikert. I am joined by uh, my fellow colleagues, Nate Mancini. Hello. Hello there. (laughs) Obi-Wan is joining us today from afar. Indeed. And we've got uh, beloved Richard Christman sporting a very artistic uh, turtleneck. You got to dress for the arts, guys. You got to dress for the arts. It's beautiful. Um, Even on the podcast, which is an audio medium, Mm -hmm. Rich is still going above and beyond. Thank you, Rich. Yeah. I do wear turtlenecks regularly, just for the record. (laughs) Okay. But this one's black and French and (laughs) especially artistic. Yes. For these dark times. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you. Um, we also have another guest here. The Forefront team has been eagerly awaiting this episode mm-hmm. um, because a uh, special guy here today, Kevin Maloney, is a faithful follower of Christ. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a fan of the Buffalo Bills, most importantly. He is also... That's right. That's right. Uh, he's also the lead pastor at Grace Road Church, uh, which is where we go um, and where many of the... you know we've. Forefront has got close ties with Grace Road mm-hmm. for, for several years now, and uh, I think everyone in this room has been uh, greatly benefited by the the grace that God has given you to preach, man, and so sincerely, yeah. we're going to have fun today, but I want to say sincerely that uh, you mean a lot to us and that you would make time for us on this busy Sunday. Um, we're, we're so happy that you're here. Um, I am a little too excited. Like I, I want to say a million things at once and ask you a million questions, but we're mm-hmm. just going to, I'm going to take a deep breath. You're just, a, you're just a regular guy. I'm a regular guy. Yep. Remember that time? So regular. <laughs> you're so I mean, regular. We're talking wardrobe. <laughs> I'm wearing a yeah, middle-aged gym teacher sweatshirt. He, right yeah, now. So he, he this is, is. This is true. Not <laughs> intimidating. I can't confirm it. It's right in. But you, you remember that time that you preached on Romans 8 for like five weeks? I, I do remember that. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I'm glad there was at least one other person that, who enjoyed it. However, awesome. John Piper, glory days. from what I've heard, John Piper spent like 40 times longer on the oh, book of Romans than, yeah. than you did. So. I've, heard, I've heard his son talk about it. He just remembers <laughs> like his entire adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> as, just the as you go to church and you hear a sermon on Romans. He's like from the ages of like 8 till 17. I was just, <laughs> no, seriously, I think it was like 8 years or something. I don't know yeah. the number, but um, yeah. Uh, okay, so. Kevin, welcome welcome to the show. Good How to be are here. you? How are you? Doing well. Good. Um, yeah. Thanks good. for coming. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're very excited. Uh, before we get into the deep ponderings of beauty and art and theology and all that mm-hmm. uh, stuff that we're going to try to tackle, I wanted to ask you some just lightning round, get to know you questions. Okay. 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 And the key with these is it's got to be fast. You just say the first thing that comes to your head. Yep. Don't filter yourself. All right. Um, if you this say, isn't sermon prep. That's right. If you say anything, this is terrifying. If you, you know, if you the say, first thing that comes to my head is is usually not the best thing say, that comes to my head. If you say anything you regret, this is this is not strike a live recording. Record. All right, this we're is gonna, a safe space. We're going to yeah. strike it from the record. Um, I've got yeah, just, it's not even that many. I just got a few questions, and uh, we just you know you're not normally on the show. We need our listeners to get familiar with you. Okay. If you're not, okay. So, um, yeah. All right, let's let's just get roll through these real quick. Are you familiar with the space opera entitled Star Wars? I'm familiar with it. Do you have a Do you have a favorite episode? A favorite movie? See, I'm familiar. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I don't know if I could even tell you which is which. Other than 
the original ones were the best. Okay. The, it was, so what's that? Four, five, six? Correct answer. Okay. That's correct answer. <laughs> sure. Okay. If you could only preserve one book from the Holy Bible, which would it be? For the sake of humanity. Romans. Good answer. That's the right nice. answer. I love that I'm confirmed. Like, I have That's no idea what right I'm talking answer. <laughs> I'm, telling, I'm telling a man twice my age. Remove 65 books from the scripture. <laughs> you're telling me that's the right answer. So. John Piper's like, good choice. <laughs> yeah. For what it's worth, you have my affirmation. Good, okay. Good. Peanut butter or jelly? Peanut butter. Okay. The correct answer was both at yeah. once. Okay. Uh, McDonald's or Burger King? Burger King. The Office Ooh. or Parks and Rec? The Office. Will the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl before Jesus returns? I mean, that's all dependent on whether you're post-millennial or not. I don't, um, I would, uh, I would. That's true. I'll, I'll go with a yes. Oh, good. Strong the whole faith. team is it's caught up to meet him in the air. Optimistic. Good faith. Post-millennial answer. What's your favorite day of the week? Tuesday. Ooh. I want to ask why, but we got to keep moving. Okay. Uh, C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien? Lewis. Answer. Naked right answer. Agrees. I agree. Most important book you've ever read, excluding the Bible. Most formative. First one that comes to mind is Desiring God. Yes. Again, Piper agrees. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, do you ever think about writing a book of your own? I do. Moser Chipotle. Chipotle. Correct. What a transition. Right? <laughs> I know, right? Tim Keller or John Piper? Ooh. I can't say both. Depends what you want to do. Okay, if you Tim Keller. Okay, all right, cool. Sorry, John. John, I know that you're listening right now. He's humble. Honestly, Piper probably agrees. (laughs) No, but that's like removing 65 books from the Bible. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. How do you choose? All right. Um, Okay, those are all the questions I have for you. Um, I'm going to ask you more. I'm going to ask you more than you you didn't do bad. All right, so we're just going to have a conversation here. Mostly want to hear. Just it's cool to have a pastor here because we deal a lot with artists and whether it's just uh, a forefront 360 episode with the group here, or we bring on a guest, it's almost always an artist. So it's really cool to hear uh, a pastor's perspective on some of this stuff because forefront cares a lot about excellence in the arts, but the other half of that is really authentic faith. And um, yeah, we're just excited to chat with you specifically. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask um, the first question about, the Bible, because the Bible is not, it's not only a work of art, right? It's like a diverse text with lots of um, different genres and it's compilation of um, diff- different sorts of text that we understand. Uh, but it is, it is liter- literary in lots of places. And it seems like God went to great lengths to communicate information beautifully. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, um, instead of saying that God provides for his people, which is true and adequate answer. He says through the psalmist in Psalm 65, I'll just read 8 through 13 here. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. So that's that's a chunk from Psalm 65. In another one, Psalm 103, instead of saying, 
I am hurt. This person prays Psalm 102. This person prays, you actually read this to me recently, so uh, this first chunk. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I've become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath. For you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. So that was a lot, but we saw rich imagery, the, the poetic language in the Psalms is well documented. And you've preached, Kevin, on uh, the beauty of foreshadow and parallelism in the Old Testament. So I just listened to a, a sermon you gave about the true and better Moses, Christ being the, the fulfillment of that, and the true and better David, Christ being the fulfillment of that. And the irony of this sermon I just re-listened to yesterday is the irony of Pharaoh asking the midwives to kill the Hebrew sons, and the plan backfires, and they uh, end up getting pregnant themselves. Just the, the irony of the cross, even. Um, and so why does God go to such great lengths to tell a beautiful story um, and how does that inform the theology of beauty? Just what, what kind of reaction do you have to that? Yeah, I think, I mean, my background was before going into ministry, I was studying to be an engineer. So mm-hmm. I was the math and science mm-hmm. guy in school mm-hmm. and didn't really like English and social studies, did okay in them, but I wasn't the literary guy. I wasn't mm-hmm. an artist. I, I wanted stuff that was like, you know, gray and functional. Mm-hmm. That was uh, mm-hmm. what functional. I was, was working on. Right. And then in in his sense of irony, God called me into the ministry where now I'm working with words, words and trying yeah. to create things that are beautiful with words. And so I would prefer yeah. at times, even if God had given us a list of here are 75 propositions mm-hmm. and these things are true mm-hmm. and you should memorize them. Mm-hmm. And that way there isn't the ambiguity. We don't have any of those like gray areas. We, we could know what's true, know mm-hmm. what's false and be able to just know for sure what God is like. But instead he gives us this book where he wraps it all up in story and tragedy and comedy and mm-hmm. poetry and and it's 66 books over a period of like 1500 years by all these different authors like he he tells his story in that form and and it's loaded with that much beauty it's loaded with that much imagery and i think a reason for that is because that list of propositions will be speaking to your mind mm-hmm. the the beauty speaks to your heart and mm-hmm. and by wrapping those propositions because there are propositions in there but but by wrapping them in stories and wrapping them in so much beauty i think we have even more evidence that that there is a god because mm-hmm. that's what beauty does um that that when our minds might deny that god exists when we encounter real beauty in the world our heart is just telling our mind you don't know what you're talking about mm-hmm. mm. that's good and i think uh what you said is is ironic and interesting because now that I think about uh, for, just from from getting to know you over the years, you've said that you know I come from an engineering background and uh, but you you do point out like the beauty in these in these texts and um, even are excited about you know uh, the way that God has crafted this story over time and uh, I hadn't thought about the head and the heart and the difference there um, but it's like you see a sunset and 
the sunset is, I mean, the sun is functional and, and it does things, but it's also beautiful. And so this, uh, this special revelation of scripture being beautiful and functional in a sense kind of mirrors the general revelation, God's creation being, you know, functional, like the earth works, the, like yeah. science works and all this stuff. Yeah. But it's also beautiful the way it works and the way those things are not only at odds with each other, they're not at odds with each other. They're actually, they serve each other and work together and intertwined in a beautiful way. And the beauty is just a witness that, that there is meaning in the world. And if there's meaning, it must've been intended by someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm ready for the Tim Keller quote. Yep. He says, there's a sort of schizophrenia that occurs if you're listening to Bach and you hear the glory of God. And yet your mind says that there is no God and there is no meaning. Mm-hmm. You're committed to believing nothing means anything And yet the music comes in and takes you over with your imagination. When you listen to great music, you can't believe that life is meaningless. Your heart knows what your mind is denying. Mm. That's why I chose Tim Keller in the speed (laughs) (laughs) round. That's perfect. It reminds me of um, Steve Jobs said that Yo-Yo Ma playing the cello was like the best argument there is for the existence of God. Yeah. And I I love that because, of course, Steve Jobs wasn't a Christian. um, But he kind of, he knew that, right? That he knew like, this is the argument that speaks to me most. You have to suppress so much. I mean, whether it's the beauty of a romantic relationship, it's the beauty of a painting, the beauty of nature. there, There is so much of what your heart knows to be true that you have to fight back to deny that there's a creator behind that. Yeah. Cause the alternative explanation is what, that the chemicals are responding in my brain a certain way and releasing pleasure, dopamine, whatever. Like, is that the, that's the alternative, right? Mm. If there's no God. So it kind of helps us survive in some, some way. And that's just why, why it is the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We kind of know that's not true. Yeah. I think we do. So I think we've, maybe some of us, have suppressed it for so long that maybe you, you, you feel no conflict. You know, I think, I think some people feel no conflict with their beliefs, even though they're, they're incompatible upon examination, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also kind of when I read the Bible and I, I hear it read, it's like, it almost seems to me courageous of God that he made the Bible the way he did. You know, even as all of humanity is crying out for just some simple commands, some simple uh, axioms, you know, like you were talking about Kevin and, and, and then God gives us this work of art and it's deeply complex at times confusing, um, but very beautiful. And like I was listening to Cody's sermon this morning and him reading a Psalm and the Psalmist crying out, uh, you know, God, why are you asleep? Yeah. Right. What, you know, why have you abandoned us? And it's like the, the fact that God like put that in his book, yeah. like mm-hmm. someone crying out to him and asking him why he's doing what he's doing mm-hmm. is just such a mind bending thing. Yeah. And the then it's an invitation for us to do that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. for us to be so bold as to pray prayers like that. Yeah. He's, he's quite an artist in that way. Yeah, and it's such a complicated, like the gospel message is really simple and so simple a, a young child can understand it and have faith and the mechanics of it are, are pretty simple. And at the same time, the Christian worldview as displayed in the Bible is so complex and rich and nuanced. And Kevin, what I love about the way you preach and is just that like, as I was listening to a sermon yesterday, I just, uh, it, you almost alternate every sentence. You're like, God doesn't mean this. God does mean this. But you can you can swing the pendulum too far on the other side, and there's this slippery slope that you can fall into this pit or you can fall into that pit. And tell me a little bit about, like, 
communicating that to a big group of people. I mean, you're communicating like a complex text and this is an art with language and words. And so how do you, this isn't a planned question. I didn't prepare you for this, but, but I'm so interested in how like the role of nuance in your preaching. Yeah. I think some of that has come from taking plenty of beatings over the years. What do you mean? Yeah. Learning the things that people will misunderstand. You can, Um, you can anticipate like they'll correct you. Yeah. And so, so especially in my youth ministry days, like the amount of correction that I would get from people who listened to things like parents who would sit into the teen class or something, um, for whatever reason, allowed their teenagers to be in my class. Mm -hmm. They, um, the, the correction that I would get from some of them, which was wildly frustrating at the time, taught me to anticipate what's coming. Mm -hmm. Um, also most of my sermons are not solely my work. Mm -hmm. Uh, we start our week with the staff looking at a passage and we've got, you know, staff probably nine people in the room and we go around the room and we, we talk about just the insights that we have from the mm-hmm. passage, the mm-hmm. questions that come up, things to say, things not to say. Um, and then I spend a lot of time. I write the whole thing out in a manuscript, which I don't recommend that anyone who preaches does it this way, but I, I, I spend, you uh, write it as you would say it. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and write the whole thing out pretty close to word for word. But it looks like you memorize it. I mean, you're not reading off a script. That's so... Yeah, and some of that is just that I wrote this week's sermon this week, mm-hmm. so it's fresh. Right. It's not like I wrote this a month ago, because then I would don't have like, to be reading. You don't like black out, and you're like, oh, like an hour passed, and I've been talking, and I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I don't, it's, it, it boggles my mind. I still don't understand it. But, even, but Even the jokes make it into the transcript. <laughs> they do, they do, and that's because uh, I'm terrified to think about the joke that I would make on the spot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and That's not thinking through all the nuances. Of I it. feel I mean, like that right now. Even in the manuscript, I'll say something. I'll say, I can't believe I said that. But I actually planned to say that right. and, and went over that 10 times this week. Yeah. And then when I said it, it was like, oh, shouldn't have said that. In front and of the said, audience. Yeah. So you can see yeah. how they it's reacted. Like, oh, yeah. Can't unsay <laughs> that. But like so often, what I mean is so often you'll say this. And this doesn't mean that Christians can't blank. Yeah. And... Um, that's just so helpful because somebody who is like wrestled with doubts and fears and c- confusion and questions with scripture, like you read a passage and you're like, but doesn't that contradict this? Right. And it's not contradictions. It's just complicated. And so I love mm-hmm. when you say that, like recently I listened to one that you said, you said Christians, uh, you know, have made some corny art recently and this doesn't mean that you can't enjoy that art because, you know, it's art with a message and fireproof. You mentioned fireproof and you yeah. say, you know, we've gotten really good at messaging. And if you have a message you want to portray, then and that's the that's the purpose of that piece of art, then that's fine and that's OK. Um, but there's also reason and it's OK to do things beautifully and, and matter matters and the world is it's OK to enjoy material worlds and that whole concept, mm-hmm. which is so complicated. But you do it with that nuance that I really appreciate. I think that really comes from, um, I believe in being a pastor who interacts with the people. And as the church has gotten bigger, um, that's gotten harder because it's a smaller subsection of the people that I'm able to have the face-to-face interactions with. But I never want to get away from that because I think that someone who preaches, I know we're not talking about art that much mm-hmm. right now, but um, someone okay. who preaches, I think their job is to exegete the scripture and, mm-hmm. and know what the scripture says. But then you have to exegete the people mm-hmm. and know what the people are thinking. Um, know their particular idols, know their hangups, their questions, the pushback. And I think you learn that by spending a lot of time with people. Yeah. And then then you bring the two to bear on one another. You bring the scripture to bear on the people and you bring their questions to bear on the scripture. And I think that's what makes 
for the kind of message that's relatable to people. But the reason I'll, I'll know what questions people are asking is because I spend time with them <laughs> and get to hear, you know, while we're having coffee or we're sitting in a counseling mm-hmm. office, I get to hear the questions and the pushback. So it's not that you're looking for an interpretation of scripture that will meet what their itching ears want to hear. It's right. that how can I highlight certain truths in scripture that are relevant and that, that this you know, these sheep need need right now. Yeah, I think you start with the scripture and say, okay, what is the scripture saying? Mm-hmm. Like, what's universally true here? What's to say to all audiences everywhere? And then you say, okay, well, what questions that the people are asking does this answer? And so you're not trying to say, like, how do I give the people what they want? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. here's what the scripture says. This is what the people need. Mm-hmm. But what questions are, are they kicking around all the time that this provides an answer for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. That is an art. We're talking about art. It's an art. This is a broad view of art. The art of preaching. That's right. Can I roll into a question about art patronage? Absolutely. All right. We're asking. We're about to ask you for money right on the air. No, that's not okay. uh, Yeah, not true. That's not my job. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have an art fund? Um, uh, Kevin, for for a lot of church history, I think particularly from the the 14th century to the 18th century. The church was a big sponsor of art. You know, art patronage was was an important thing. It was a way that the church would um, support the artistic community. It was also a way that the church, I think, kind of reclaimed art for the glory of God in some ways. They would say, like, yeah, there's art being made, but what if, like, the the greatest art was art that kind of drew people's eyes upward to worship God? And to do that, they would commission um, artists and artisans to create works of art that, that would glorify God. And so, you know, I think most of us would agree that artistic patronage is a good thing in general sure. because it enables, you know, people with creative abilities to be supported in doing that work. So that's a good thing. But previously, you've talked about this difference between the church gathered and the church scattered, yep. where there's, there's kind of the gathered church comes together every Sunday morning. And obviously, you know, you, you lead kind of a church organization that is that is that church body. And then there's the body of Christ out in the community, just all of us who attend Grace Road, who then go out and do all kinds of good things in our daily lives. And so my question is, when it comes to the patronage of art, when it comes to the church kind of sponsoring art, paying for art to be created, um, to what extent is, is that something that the church gathered should be doing? And maybe something that you've thought about at Grace Road. And to what extent is it something that you would say, well, that's really just a role of the church community. Yeah. And that's, um, So it was a question that was kicked around a lot in history too. So, so we're not the first ones to be asking that question, but I think um, for one, I think it's important to say that biblical faith inspires great art. Mm -hmm. So so there's no questioning that. Um, And I think also nobody is questioning that the Christians who are artists have an important vocation. Um, Nobody in this room is questioning that, that though I would say there are some who question. Uh, I think they, they would say that the, the most spiritual of all the work is to become a pastor, you know, to be in ministry, to, to preach like that. That's the ultimate art. That's the ultimate vocation. And I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that, that we all have unique callings and that we should pursue those callings, um, do things that are true, good and beautiful to the glory of God. And for some that means preaching and pursuing a, a call to the ministry for some that does mean making great art for some that means making great bridges and paving great driveways. Like there's, there those callings are all important yeah. and part of the economy that, that God is behind making to a degree. And to, that's uh, that language of the body of Christ, right? That we all are a different part of the body and, you know, have distinct and unique roles that make up the whole. Right. And so, so the question becomes, is it 
necessary for the church gathered mm-hmm. to patronize art. Right. Um, is it patronize? Yes. It sounds wrong. It does. Don't, don't patronize it, it us. Like, yeah, like, like you're talking down yeah. to art. You don't yeah. come on our show and patronize us, all right? Yeah. Um, and, and this was, a, in, in history, there, there are questions about that. I mean, for one, I would say, I wouldn't ever want to say that the church gathered must fund art. Sure. And, and part of the reason for that is most of the church globally and throughout history has been poor. Mm-hmm. And, and in the New Testament, you don't have that as a necessity for the gathered church. Right. Um, New Testament's a very, uh, very word focused where word and sacrament, those are kind of the, the important must haves in, in the, the primary gathered church. role of the gathered church. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and that's a big, uh, a big part of what we do with our offerings. Um, and, and so I wouldn't say that the church gathered has to fund art. I think it can, mm-hmm. um, it's certainly allowable. I wouldn't say that it's a sin to, yeah. um, but I think that there there need to be some cautions that go with that too, and this is some of the stuff that the reformers wrestled with, um, like where where Calvin was really cautious about church music, um, where where they had some, and he wrote psalms into into songs, and he and, and there was some music that went with it, but he was very careful about not making the music the center of the service. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wasn't anti music; he he actually formed musical societies in Geneva, so. Sure. He loved music. He believed that Christians and the church scattered should be making great music, forming musical societies. That's an important thing to do. But he was very cautious about it in church. Um, Zwingli, even more so. Um, there, there's a story of him destroying a church organ because he didn't <laughs> want that stuff in church. It was, you can sing with your voices and that's it. Um, but in the same way, he believed in forming musical societies on the outside. And so, so these guys were cautious that they didn't want uh, performance art to take over for word and sacrament in the church gathered. Mm. Um, but it wasn't that they were against music. It wasn't that they were against fun or, or joy or beauty or anything like that. They just yeah. saw a very specific role for the church gathered. And then church scattered is just like, there's no limit to what Christians can do. That's good out in the world. And they believed in doing that good. They believed in making that music. A lot of the reformers were, were okay with performance art with plays um, they, they wanted to see those things happen out there, yeah. but they were very cautious about making that a part of the, the gathering of the body of Christ because they wanted that to be word centered. And I think for good reason, like Jesus has designed it that we know him through his word mm. primarily and not primarily through our eyes. I think that's what the second commandment is about. I think that it's a, that anytime we visually represent who God is, mm we can't tell the whole story mm. We're we're painting a two dimensional picture of a three dimensional object that always leaves a lot out. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's the caution there. Um, sure. If, if I go to a church service somewhere and there is dance going on up front, like a liturgical dance is part of the, the service. I would say I probably wouldn't want to do that at grace road because I think mm. it can be a distraction and not necessarily specifically be word ministry that conveys the truth of the word but I also wouldn't say it's a sin. So it doesn't freak me out. Sure. Um, if, if a church has a super high production value worship set and fog it machines, lights and fog machines, all that, I, again, I wouldn't say it's sin. And so I've preached in plenty of environments where there's fog machines and lights and it, um, you have, I, I have, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like the old guy there, I'm like coughing, <laughs> like, cough. kids, is something on fire, is something burning. <laughs> when you walk That's, through the flames, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So I wouldn't say it's sin, Shout but out. I wouldn't want to do it. Um, 
And, and the reason is not because it's sin. It's just because I want the power of the service to be the power of the preached word of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to convey the message that the gospel needs those things mm-hmm. um, because those things are allowable, mm-hmm. but they're mm-hmm. just not needed. It's interesting yeah. you say this, though, because and this isn't a contradiction, yeah. but it's again, it's this nuance we're talking about because Grace Road Church is a beautiful physical space. It is. And it's not a, the stained glass is not adorned with images, but it is beautiful. And right. you know what's crazy? It's not a gymnasium. Is we we were willing to have a gymnasium. Like we when we we've looked for spaces and now we're in our third space that is a super high character auditorium, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's not like a, a a core value of ours. Right. Um, so it's it's cool and it's great. And it's one of those things where, you know, if I have a nine hundred seat auditorium that is beautiful and a nine hundred seat auditorium that is like gray and functional. <laughs> Everything else equal. I'm choosing the beautiful one. Yeah, it's okay. Good. It's okay, right? I mean, yeah. that's a beautiful space to it enriches a worship a little bit, sure. Even though it's not necessary. Yeah, and that's been something that I know has been big for the forefront artists. I mean, as they've come in to yeah. Grace Road, they look around at the space and they go, "Wow, yeah, I can't wait to like sing here." Yeah, like this is a beautiful space to do art in. Um, so I think that's been a a beautiful thing for them. Yeah, and I'm all for yeah. it, but I um. You know, if we take, for example, like St. Peter's Basilica, like here's, you know, probably mm-hmm. the most beautiful church building in the world. Um, you know, it took over 100 years to build. Um, I mean, Michelangelo's involved in the thing. Like it's it's pretty nice over there. And so <laughs> they got a nice joint. And it's um, <laughs> we, we look at that and we think that is the the ultimate in church architecture and statues. And I've never even been there, but mm-hmm. I've, I've seen the Wikipedia page. So yeah. I probably understand. You, you understand. I probably grasped the beauty of the place. You can't yeah. tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. I bet it's incense, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but so I look at that and, and it's beautiful. And if I, you know, had to choose, do we meet in that building uh, or do we meet in a similar size building? That's a warehouse. I will take St. Peter's Basilica. Well, I'll mm-hmm. go with that. Mm-hmm. But then historically I look at what it took to build it. Um, and you know, a lot of the initial funding for that building was John Tetzel selling indulgences and telling people that if they put that coin in the coffer, then, a soul springing out of purgatory and you're rescuing your relatives from you know, their, their damnation or their mm-hmm. perdition. And uh, I hear those stories and I think, well, if that, w- if that's what it takes to have St. Peter's, I'd rather not have St. Peter's. Now, now that we have it, <laughs> it's there. It's <laughs> well, beautiful. It's, it's like there that, now. That, uh, obviously it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And that beauty, regardless of what it took to create that beauty, the beauty that's there speaks to the glory of God. It tells mm-hmm. your heart that there is meaning in life. So, so yeah. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But if, if it takes manipulation to get that good thing and to build it ourselves, I wouldn't want yeah. to do that. It's not think, worth sinning to achieve. No, it's not always yeah. either or. I mean, there are plenty of times where mm-hmm. a wealthy patron comes along and says, Hey, I'd like to build a beautiful building for this church. And, mm-hmm. and amen. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll yeah. take it. But it's, uh, um, <clears throat> I just wouldn't want to, be so concerned with the church gathered building uh, a building that's great art that we're willing to sell our soul for that. Yeah, sure. I think that's a really valuable distinction to make too, because it's important to recognize, like, like you said, now that we have it, you know what I mean? It's St. Peter's Basilica. I would hope is not seen by anyone as a monument to sin. Like it's not right. a monument right. to indulgences. Not at all. You know, so I just think it's interesting because a lot of times in this discussion, you find people that are, you know, going 100 miles an hour in, you know, one direction or the other. And, you know, like everything we've been talking about so far, there's so much nuance. And I just think it's 
very wise to say that. Yeah. And I think it's good yeah. to look at things that are beautiful and you can appreciate the beauty, um, even understanding even the sins that went into creating that beautiful thing sometimes. It's complicated. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to add just a little layer of nuance to the the patronage question though. So, I mean, you've talked about what kinds of art you would bring into a church service, for example, like, sure. you know, dance or no dance or, or the type of building that you might want, you know, commissioned to be created. Yeah. But what about something like, um, I think of my friend and musician, uh, Joel Ansett out in Colorado, and he works for a church, St. Patrick's Presbyterian, and he's an artist in residence there. Yeah. And so he, he leads their worship on Sunday mornings and, you know, he's singing hymns, Yeah. but then they're also paying him, yep. you know, a, a full-time salary. And they're, they're basically like, we want you to create good music. It doesn't yeah. have to be hymns. It could just be whatever music you want to make. We, we trust you as a person, as a believer, um, go out and do that. Go, uh, go write songs, make records, play shows, yeah. you know, be a musician in the community, be a Christian, and we're going to pay you to do that. Yep. And so I wonder, you know, what do you think of that kind of patronage that maybe it's not, oh, we're going to take all this crazy stuff and put it in our Sunday morning service. But what if we allocate a little bit of the church budget, yep. you know, to create beautiful things? What do, you, what do you think about it's that? It's good and allowable for yeah. sure. Um, and, and so, so again, it wouldn't be something that I would ever rail against like that. That sounds yeah. like a good thing for a church to do. I just wouldn't say it's a necessity. And, and probably most churches I'm familiar with are not in a position to be able to do that. Mm. So I wouldn't want to bind that on their conscience, mm-hmm. um, sure. especially, you know, telling this pastor who's just, you know, trying to, to rent a place and be able to, to, to preach to some people on Sunday. I wouldn't want to tell them that like, you're really not doing it until you have an artist in residence. Yeah. But when a church does have that, that ability to do that and they do that and they've got the right guy there and they kind of take advantage of the person that God brought along, say it's, it's good. Yeah. And some of these questions of like, well, why doesn't the local church support their artists more? Some of that, I mean, it's a valid question. Some mm-hmm. of it though is like, for lack of a better way to put it, a first world, a first right. church problem. Oh, like, you know what I mean? Like even the fact that there's a possibility that there's enough money to do something like that is a very particular to this moment of history and geography. I like, mean, imagine, imagine telling a uh, illegal <laughs> basement church in China that they're not doing it right. Cause they don't have an artist. Right. You know, <laughs> absurd. Yeah. yeah. Rich, did you want to um, tackle a couple of the uh, guest questions? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, I got a question for you from Cotter. He says, should a Christian, should a Christian's art always have an agenda to it? I.E. presenting the gospel in each piece of work. I would say it should have an agenda and that agenda should be to make something that's true, good and beautiful. Mm. Um, oh, you, you sneaky little answer. You <laughs> snuck it in. Um, that quote but, might end up on an Instagram post. Oh, I think. We nice. gotta, <laughs> what do you please explain? Expand. Uh, so, so really the answer is no. Like, I don't think that, that all good art made by a Christian has to be a piece of gospel propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I think you can uh, do a disservice to the gospel mm-hmm. um, if, you, if you say so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can kind of al- almost make it sound like the gospel is dependent on me making something cute to make it powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't want to do that. And you also do a disservice to art by making it just a propaganda piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, a Christian, his art should very much be shaped by his faith. Um, that his or her art should should be something that is beautiful, and they're working hard to make this beautiful thing to glorify God. But they know that they can make a beautiful thing that glorifies God, and that the beauty will speak to the heart of mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's a good thing all by itself. And you don't need to baptize it necessarily with Christian imagery mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, distinctly Christian messages any more than a Christian engineer needs to, you know, make sure that all of his trusses are in the shape of a cross or something like that. Like the, the job of that bridge is to, to hold up cars. And so, yeah. so build that bridge, make it as beautiful as you can, make it as strong as you can, make it as honestly as you can um, do it in, in very Christian ways. But you can do that really well without it being an explicitly gospel bridge. Right. Mm. I, I'm so happy that you said that, if you don't mind me jumping sure. in. Because I think that, uh, and I've heard this said before, this isn't my thought, but the idea that we are so quick uh, in discussing art in the church to say like, oh, you know, is that Christian art? Christians need to have, you know, the, the name of Jesus in every song, you know, things like that. Right. But we never, we almost never say that to any other good work. Right. And we almost as a, you know, I'll speak for the Christian community here, but I think that in, I think that in, you know, the United States, in the first world, we almost have this collective agreement that oftentimes when like a business, for example, calls themselves, you know, like, you know, Christian bakery and like all their, Mm -hmm. you know, cookies have crosses on them or Christian fish. We even, we kind of cringe at that, you know, like it's, you know, it's great that you're Christian, you make good cookies, but like, do we have to be as blatant or as propagandized? Like commercially. Commercial, right. And I find it very interesting that we, as a community, we are very quick to say, well, you shouldn't do that in pretty much every work except for art. And I think that that is, I think it is particularly true in visual arts yeah Mm. like both static and dynamic like film and what Mm -hmm. like you know we say you know when you think when i say the word christian film i'm sure there are a lot of images that pop into your head you know yeah Yeah. so thank you for saying that. i think this is where another place where the church gathered versus church church scattered Mm -hmm. distinction is good Mm -hmm. um like i think the the music or the songs that we sing when when the church is gathered should be explicitly Christian songs. Like they should be about Christ. And you'll, you'll hear song or hear stories about churches that want to like relate what's going on to the people there. Like, so I've heard of stories that'll play like highway to hell and have everybody stand and sing that song. Hmm. Um, that's, that's not the role of the church gathered. Like we, we want those, those songs to be very word oriented. Like we want to be singing things that are, are true about Jesus explicitly. So church gathered is very explicit, but if a Christian wants to go and make a good, pop song mm-hmm. go for it go for yeah. it and and it doesn't require you to you know back mask the gospel into right. it or something like that mm-hmm. to make it a christian song but you can, it, it you can just sing like, about a beauty somewhere and like you said before too sometimes when it's done really poorly it even like cheapens the gospel or it does. It, uh well not cheapens of course but like it's blasphemy almost right. to, to a level yeah and, and what we're not saying is that if i'm hearing right what we're not saying is that you know what's that what's that quote that bugs me like preach the gospel constantly it's sometimes use words what was that <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm forgetting well, words, yeah. yeah like the gospel is news and it is explicit and it's like the name of jesus christ but that's like that that doesn't mean that uh a beautiful work of art that uh christ is not explicit in can't speak to the heart and and god can't use those means to draw him to himself right if not the only piece of the puzzle but Part of that work can yeah. be done yeah. with implicit beauty. Did you just pull a Kevin Maloney? Did you just say, "Well, what we're not saying"? <laughs> what we're not, is, I, did. Not saying yeah. I did. I didn't want Kevin to get in trouble, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some people were going to email Kevin. They were. Someone was yeah. writing an email to Kevin right now, saying the gospel is news and must be shared explicitly. And so, and I, I agree with that. But, yeah. Um, 
I mean, Abraham Kuyper, who um, was in the Netherlands, prime minister of the Netherlands, mm-hmm. fairly we did, smart we were just guy. Chatting, we just did a we podcast about him. Did yeah. you? Yeah. I'm so, I should have listened. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. What the heck, man? <laughs> but he um, he was pretty big. Uh, so the reformers' architecture was mm-hmm. was much more simple than than Roman Catholic architecture, and he thought that by keeping those by the reformed churches by keeping their architecture simple were good guardians of good art and good theology because they were willing to separate their art a little bit from mm-hmm. the church gathered. Mm-hmm. And so so it's not that he was against good art, but he thought that by the church gathered not trying to force all art into their services and into their liturgical mold that actually helps people make better art. And yeah. so you have like the whole Dutch Baroque movement that was really reformation driven where people are making beautiful, like rich with color and drama art. And, and they did so because they were freed to do so by the message of the church, which is that you can go and make something beautiful and it doesn't have to be, you know, an icon. It doesn't have to be a picture of Jesus to be beautiful you can paint a picture of a village scene mm-hmm. and do that well. And that beauty glorifies God. And it actually freed them up to make better mm-hmm. art because they weren't forcing it into the church. Mold. Yeah. And yeah, you I can agree. do that because what we're talking about here, Christ has died for your sins. And, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not justifying yourself with your right, art. Right. Right. Um, we, because the, the ministry of the word is very word driven um, because we don't have to have icons and images to preach the word because Jesus wants to be known through the, the preached word we can free up art to not have to carry that burden of every picture I paint has to communicate the gospel. Mm-hmm. Every song I sing has to be explicitly mm. about Jesus. Um, if it's true, good and beautiful, then it's good work for a Christian to do. Yeah. And there's also a danger too. If, if everything is church, like church gathering, yeah. because I, I mean, I would say that that's the benefit of things like separation of church and state. Because when you have church and state always intermarried, all the evil that is done by the state is done by the church. Right. And I, so I think that like if we live in a society where we support that, you know, all, everything we do, all the art we do should be part of church gathered. Right. That's a very risky thing because yep. humans are sinful and we're going to produce sinful stuff. Yep. And I'd rather not have that be under the banner of the church. And I think it puts too much under the control of pastors too, mm-hmm. um, where where I love the freedom that comes from having to not be an expert in everything. You don't um, want to be a creative director. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't have to understand art well um, because I don't like, and so, but I know that there are people who that's their vocation, that's their calling. And mm-hmm. I want to encourage that because I do see that as like a holy calling from God, mm-hmm. but I don't have to run that. Mm-hmm. I don't, there don't have to be meetings about that with the elders right. of the church. Like I just right. want to encourage people to do that in the same way that I don't want to run an accountant's business. I don't want to run a, a realtor's business. Yeah. I mean, the gospel informs all of those things. Mm-hmm. Like it informs how you interact with customers and informs your, your, the fact that you don't love money. It's going to change how you do all those things. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit with a realtor and tell them how to do their job or, or help them understand the real estate industry better. <laughs> I want to help them understand the gospel better. And then as they explain to me some of what they do, I want to bring the gospel to bear on their industry, but I don't want to run their industry and say, mm-hmm. if you're going to be a Christian realtor, they're going to be you need to get on me. your you business answer cards. To me. And, you yeah. need to get me St. Peter's Basilica. You're only going to yeah. sell church buildings. And, so <laughs> yeah. I, I and I mean, to to- even though Jesus could have done all that, Jesus pulled a squad of 12 diverse people, yeah. you know, that had different backgrounds and different skills and whatnot, not, what not, excuse me, to spread the gospel. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. well, this is good stuff. Um, I think that maybe we'll pause here. 
if that's okay with you guys. Um, we're going to uh, continue this conversation, but uh, we want to break this episode into digestible chunks. And so we will pause here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back with the rest of our conversation next week. Um, so uh, if you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy this show, uh, please uh, write a review for us. Right, craft a beautiful yes. review. You can. I've done this for other shows I listen to on Apple Podcasts. I don't know how it works on other platforms. A true and beautiful review. A true and beautiful review, and you don't even have to use the name of Christ in it. You can. You could. You yeah. don't have to. Yeah. Um, just just be true and good, uh, and also leave a leave us a five star rating. Yeah. Okay. Um, Nate, are do, are we accepting four star ratings? Uh, at this time, just five. At this time, we are not accepting four, three, two, or one star ratings. Just five star ratings. So, uh, yeah, that that just <laughs> that doesn't increase our clout per se, and it doesn't like put cash in the pockets. It just kind of helps no. people find the, the. Yeah, we don't have any cash. Yeah, we, yeah. we have no cash. We're not being patronized. This is not no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it just helps people find the show better on the vast ocean of the interweb. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep pursuing excellent art and authentic faith.